Providence basketball now down again. Done to the cup. Gets it up at DeRozo. Throws it down with love from Wyndham, New Hampshire. A chance for Providence to tie this game up with a three. Under two and a half to play in the first half. That sets the screen. Cotton, the pull-up three. Target! Foul. Hawkins down. Great response by Patton. 10-2, Friars run. Denied defense by Creighton right here. Here's Bats. What a play by Bats. And the foul. Here's the fake. And the shot is good. Ted Bancroft. So, the Friars are getting... Dividends from DeRozier, Bancroft, and Goldsboro. The bench is getting the job done. Fortune. Three. Good! And a foul! Wow. And they are on their feet at the world's most famous arena. This is special, guys. Providence, hold on. Looking for their first title since 94. Trying to climb the mountain. Cut to hit. Ten to shoot. Hit. Fires mid-range. Trying to get it something quickly. Here's McDermott from Omaha. Uh, Too deep. And a foul. Chapman rebound. Congratulations to Providence. It's been a long journey. I'm so proud of our players and uh, to persevere the way we have all year, I couldn't be more grateful. The one guy that's in my mind right now is Al Spinner. The last time we won a Big East championship, he was the head coach and I learned so much from him. I feel so appreciative and I I'm speechless. I'm just really happy for our players and for our school. Welcome, everybody, to the second edition of the Friar Pod Series, hosted by Billy Ritchie of the Friar Podcast and Kevin Farahar of FriarBasketball.com. I am elated that for our second go-around of this pod series, we're going to be highlighting the Providence College men's basketball team from 2013-2014. The 2013-2014 Friars captivated us on an amazing run for the first Big East championship after the realignment. And in this pod series, you're going to be hearing directly from the players and staff who brought us that magical moment. We interviewed Ted Bancroft, Carson DeRosiers, Kadeem Batts, LaDante Hedden, Bryce Iceman Cotton, and the man behind it all, Ed Cooley. Kev, can you believe it's been eight years since the Big East title in 2014? Yeah, it is hard to believe. You know, we were talking, I think it was with Kadeem. Where, you know, for me especially, I feel like it was yesterday. And, you know, we used to interview Kadeem after the games. And he said something about turning like 32 or 33 years old. I was like, oh, my God, he's already 33 at this point. So it, it does seem kind of crazy. But, you know, on the, on the flip side, when you look through like where not just Providence was, but like other Big East programs were back in 2013, 2014, so much has changed too, you know. So 
when you look at it from that perspective and Providence not having been to the NCAA tournament in like 10 years prior, you know, as much as it doesn't seem like much time has gone by, a lot has really changed for this program. I was a senior the year that PC won in 2014. And I remember going with my friends to Madison Square Garden. And I just remember the vibe around campus. I remember this team, like there, there just seemed to be some synergies with this team that especially under the Keno era that we just truly hadn't seen in a while. So can you put into words why we chose to highlight this team? To me, there's a lot of reasons, right? Obviously Providence, you know, as we had mentioned, hadn't been to the tournament in 10 years, right? So that was a big turning point. I think it's interesting now to look back on the Cooley era. And I feel like this was really where things all kind of started for him. You know, when you look back on it too, that was the first year of the newly realigned Big East. It was the first year of Fox Sports 1. So there were also a ton of question marks about the Big East and its survival. Cooley talked about that with us. Not many people doubted. The entire country doubted what the Big East was going to be able to do when it loses a brand of Syracuse. It loses the brand of a Connecticut. It loses a brand of Notre Dame and Pittsburgh that was dominant in that in that time that they were in the league. Um, there was a lot of doubt, yet I think the presidents of the colleges knew that the birthright of the Big East was predicated on basketball. So there's so much to it that we thought was really interesting. And for me personally, I just love this team. I love these guys as, you know, being able to write about them. I thought they were just high character guys. I thought that a lot of them just went through a lot. Like a lot of those guys, you know, Kadeem and Ted and Bryce, they were here for Keno Davis. Yeah, Kadeem talked about that transition when we chatted with him. I think Cooley came in after my redshirt freshman year. So uh, for me, I just looked at it as, okay, um, you know, new coach coming in. I, I, I didn't have any say in it, obviously. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, how the, it's how the system, that's how the game works in terms of the college game. You know, I, know, I had some friends I knew that had coaching changes, so. It's always an adjustment because that's not the coach you're recruited by. Um, so for me, I was in a mindset of like, you know, let me try him out, you know, see how it is to play for him, meet him, get to know him. And um, so for me, I was I was I was more so just excited about the new opportunity. I wasn't really exploring transferring or anything like that because uh, I was so young uh, and I was like, you know, let's see how it goes under, you know, Cooley's tutelage. Was it? Uh, a pretty big culture shock. I mean, I think there's no surprise at this yeah. point when Coach Davis was there. It's kind of freewheeling. And yeah, it was a re there was a reason um, Keno got fired and he got hired. So we had bad culture in the sense of um, just I mean, bad culture in the sense of just wasn't a lot of discipline off the court uh, with the with the Keno group. Um, and you know, unfortunate situations happen where guys got in trouble and got kicked out. So it was just uh situation on top of situation that led to the coaching change ultimately and um i was excited about it just because i understood that uh the culture that was built under the previous coach wasn't going to last so we needed to have that kick in the butt that kind of uh definitely culture shock in terms of like the whole mindset we came in on was it was literally night and day when it went to from Keno to cooley and even Ted Bancroft talked about the Keno Davis era during our conversation. Pretty cool is, is tough to kind of really talk through. It's, it was organized chaos, to say the least. Um, practice was, we definitely, we had a lot of walk-ons actually playing back then, which was interesting, whereas Cooley's kind of built out a little more of the, the depth in the program recently. But 
yeah so pre-cooley we uh we just shot everything there was little defense played and it, it wasn't so much about prepping for the next team there was a little bit of that running the place but it was really just getting the starters kind of in the groove um whereas cooley came on it became a, almost a job right and the first few years man people kill me to hear this but the scout team we were beating the starters like every other day there was a few times where um they can't they stopped practice mid-practice because the the scout team was up so much like we had a few guys redshirting the Carson, the Tylers. We had Chris coming back from injury. Like our scout team was probably the best team in the country that couldn't play a game. Um, so that's where ultimately that that's kind of how you build the confidence too. Right. So Chris and I, Carson, Tyler, like we spent a whole year together. And then fortunately for that group, they, we all got to play the following year. So that year, although very much under the radar, actually probably impacted 2013, 14 more than, more than anything. Well, the first thing you do have to establish is a relationship that is transparent and authentic. There's going to be things that they're not going to like on change on what they were accustomed to and what they were able to kind of just do. Um, I think they bought into accountability. They bought into team. They bought into winning. You know, a lot of people can play, but who wants to win in winning? You know, that is really, really big with me. I mean, a lot of people want to participate, but who's a winner and how do you win and how do you prepare to win? And I thought to their credit, they did a great job knowing who we were as a staff, who I was as a head coach. And they get, they got to know us who we are as people, not just our jobs. And I thought that really was a big game changer for us. Even LaDante, you know, his freshman year, uh, the team really struggled. So these guys were, went through a lot. And that year, you know, we look at the team they had, they started with a completely different roster. They lost, you know, three guys heading into the season and, you know, ended up playing, what, six or seven guys, really. And for them to do what they did with that short roster was quite an accomplishment. 100%. And to let the fans know really quick, I am wearing my cotton candy T-shirt <laughs> from, from the 2013-2014 I wasn't season. sure what that was. Yeah, absolutely fire t-shirt. Shout out to the Friar Faithful for coming up with this thing. But like, seriously, this is a tale with this team. It's a tale of two different coaches, two different coaching styles, two different mantras. Like it's insane to think about how you had a group of guys who, you know, had a completely different practice experience, completely different scout team, completely different expectations. And then Ed Cooley walks through the door and it's a completely different regime. And, and they were able to kind of pivot that and do something special, right? That's not always the case in, in, in college athletics, adapting to a new style and, and um, you know, a new voice in the room leading the charge. So I, I just think it's such a unique case where you take these guys who were, who were desperate to win, who came from a situation that, you know, maybe they didn't want to be in and they stuck around and they, and they, and especially in the transfer era, they were able to kind of go through the hard times and, and, and much like the, the 2021, 22 Friars, those Friars who stuck around through the pandemic, we had Friars on this team who stuck around through tough times and they were able to pivot into something truly special, the same way as 21-22. So with that being said, Kev, I want to kick things off. Before we get to the roster of the 2013-2014 Friars, I want to talk about the team that came before them, 2012-2013. What were your thoughts about the 2012-2013 Friars and them coming up just a little bit short on their NCAA tournament push? Yeah, so Bill, it's interesting, you know, that... I really felt like 
Cooley really kind of fast forwarded the rebuilding process at PC. Um, you know, if you, if you look at how quickly he rebuilt it. So he was hired in March of 2011. And within a month, he had LaDonta Henton, right? And then by June, he picked up Carson DeRoches and Tyler Harris, who are both ACC transfers. That summer in August, they got Chris Dunn, who's McDonald's All-American. And they got Ricky Lido, who's an All-American as well. So I felt like, you know, they, on the recruiting trail, they had really kind of picked up steam, obviously. And everything under Cooley felt like it was going really fast. You know, and in Cooley's first year, it was a completely retooled team. So I think they finished 4-14 and 14 in the conference. That was a rebuilding year. But what was interesting is the 2012-13 team, um, they made a late push to the NCAA tournament. I mean, they weren't. You know, they didn't truly get in the bubble, but they were kind of close. They they went seven and one in February. And if you look back on really how that team started. The 2012-13, or yeah, the so the year we made the NIT. Yeah. I mean, you could start to see the team develop, right? And and we knew we had a killer recruiting class going into the next year. So the pieces were getting put together. From from my standpoint, it was a uh, a bit of a mixed blessing. I thought my playing days were were probably going to be over, um, which, again, as a team first guy, I, I was thrilled for the team. And, you know, I had my opportunity, but you could definitely see the development. And I think that's right when Bryce started, geez, just tearing up the Big East and like the confidence. Once you get a little bit of confidence, it just kept going. And I think collectively we we had very high aspirations for the following season, for sure. So, I mean, really, Cooley just had, in Providence, had really bad luck that year. You know, people forget that that 2012-13 team, they won 19 games, but Ricky Lido was deemed ineligible before the season started. He's a top, you know, 25 recruit. I think I think Rivals had him, like, number six in the country overall, uh, something crazy. And he was the number one or two shooting guard in the country, according to them. You know, Chris Dunn, who's a McDonald's All-American, he hurts his shoulder. He's out through December, can't practice for six or seven months of the off season. Vincent Council is a guy I think that people forget was a really good point guard for PC. He just played on bad teams, but he's the Big East all-time leader in assists. He hurts his hamstring in the very first game. He's out until late December. And then you've got Bryce Cotton, who's battling through a knee issue, right? He missed two, you know, very winnable games. They lost at Brown. They lost to Penn State. So when you look back at that team, they went into the Big East. They were eight and four, and all four losses were by a single possession. And they were really losses to teams that are better than you know they they lost to UMass and Penn State it was a tournament Bill correct me if I'm wrong I think it was in Puerto Rico and they yep. lost UMass at the buzzer and Penn State in overtime and Penn State they were playing I think four scholarship players uh, with playing Brian. anybody I'll never yeah. forget that game yeah it was brutal and then they lost they lost to BC and Brown um I think BC Chris done had come back like a game before council that was his first game back and then Brown. I mean, those are four games that they play that a month later. They probably win all four. And you look back, that's a 12-0 and start right there. Or even like, you know, I think you can make a really strong ar- argument they'd win all four of those. But say they go 3-1, and one, that's 11-1 11, 11 and one heading to the Big East, right? So I think what was tough for that team, too, and people forget, remember, they, you know, they won 19 games, but after they lost to BC and Brown, I think they they lost like five games in a row. They started two and nine in the Big East, and it kind of felt like, okay, we're not quite as close as we thought um, through this whole rebuilding journey, right? 
So they, they end January 2-9 the conference. They lost an overtime game to UConn at, at home. But then Bryce Cotton, and Bill, you remember this one, he had a big game winner at Villanova. And that really, to a lot of fans, feels like this kind of like unofficial start of the Cooley era when things started to turn under Cooley, right? So then they go on and they go 7-1 in February. And I think the big thing, the big takeaway for that stretch was that Kadeem Bats really broke out. So Kadeem ends up being the Big East's most improved player. Bryce Cotton leads the league in scoring. Um, it's amazing how much Bryce accomplished, especially considering how he ended up at PC, which he talked about directly with us. Well, how I ended up at Providence was nothing short of a miracle. Because uh, when I graduated, I didn't have any scholarships, not from Division One or Division Two or anything like that. So um, I was still doing like tournaments for unsigned seniors and all that stuff, trying to get a look last minute. Nothing came up. And I remember playing pickup <clears throat> one day with my godbrother. And uh, I took a water break or something and I got a text message. Um, and somebody telling me uh, that Providence might have a scholarship for me. So uh, I phoned him right away, tried to figure out, you know, what's going on, because obviously I hadn't spoken to Providence at all. And um, one thing led to another. And before you know it, I got offered a scholarship before, I want to say it's maybe four or five days before school started. And, you know, I didn't have anything else to bargain with. So once I got that opportunity i took it and ran with it i mean just it was divine providence as we like to say <laughs> it actually it definitely was they lost a really tough one a really tough one and bill i'm sure you'll remember to uconn um in the regular season finale so I, the feeling was you know they were at uconn if they could have won that game you know they're going into the biggest tournament with a real shot of making the ncaa's but they lost in overtime. Ryan Boatwright hit like a crazy and one. And it was the most pissed I've seen Cooley during a press conference. He was so mad. Um, and then, you know, they ended up having a pretty good run. They, they didn't play great in the Big East tournament. I think they lost to Cincinnati, but they ended up winning a couple of games in the NIT. Um, and then they ended up losing to Baylor, who was really pretty talented. So I think you close out that season and you're feeling pretty good about yourselves, right? You, you know, you really once you had your full team and you kind of like figure out your roles um they were playing really well and i think a big thing too was that chris dunn really started to emerge and he was playing kind of a complimentary role and i think the feeling was that with vincent council graduating that year um excuse me uh chris was going to step in and really take over the point guard duties but bill i'm not sure what your memories are of that 2012-13 team i ran through that kind of super fast but i think it's important to set that context that i think they did kind of build themselves a little bit uh, for success by that strong finish the year prior. The 2012-2013 Friars came with some uh, some very high highs and some very low lows, to no surprise. I mean, this is what the life of being a Friar basketball fan was, you know, prior to the Cooley era. But, I mean, I'll never forget the Brown game. I was at the Brown game. You're in a high school gym. The vibe was just nerve-wracking from the tip. And, and and to lose by one, I'll never forget it, at the Pizzatola Center in, 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 you know, over at Brown was just – that was a low moment for sure. It was like we're not there yet. We're, 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 not, we're not making the strides that we need to yet. Same thing with, you know, losing to Boston College by three was tough as well. Uh, I, I will also never forget the high of the Notre Dame game because it's not often that Notre Dame comes to the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and we were hyped up for it. I think a lot of people will remember the vibe that day and, 
and, you know, to win, you know, to win by 15, that was a great win at home. That was a high of high. Like you said, we won, believe it was seven of the last eight, um, you know, minus a, probably one of our last appearances at the carrier dome. Um, and the NCAA tournament, I mean, the, uh, the big East tournament game against Cincinnati to me is, is a case study on who we were prior to the new big East, because, it was the years of the USF, Seton Hall, Rutgers, Providence. Who's not going to make the cut from Madison Square Garden? Who's going to go out the first round, you know, to West Virginia or Louisville or Notre Dame or, you know, or, or whatever big power brand, right? The, the Cincinnati game scoring 44 points and, you know, just kind of ending on that note reminded us of why we don't want to go back to those old Big East days, right? Um and I'd love for you to touch upon that NIT run because actually it was pretty fun. It was. So a couple of things, Bill, I, I had a memory once you said Notre Dame, that was the game Lee Goldsboro hit that three right before halftime. And that yep. was a kind of a fun moment for everybody. And that was almost like the first, it was a Saturday afternoon. That was the first like coolie kind of crowd. It felt like things are turning. And I remember Mike Bray, the head coach of Notre Dame, basically saying that, uh, Kadeem Batts has essentially played like a pro out there. And that was when Kadeem had blown up. I think he had like 25 in that game. And he had really turned it on at that point. And um, I don't remember the Cincinnati game in the Big East tournament specifically. I do remember, I think he was still there. They had a guard. He must have been. They had a guard named John Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick. Star. So he <laughs> was a guy. I mean, I can tell the story now. I used to talk to Pat Scary, who was an assistant for PC under Kino. And he basically felt like he had Kilpatrick. He was at Notre Dame prep who was, you know, they were nearby in Fitchburg. I, I think Kilpatrick was a New York kid, but he was prepping around here. And Kilpatrick ends up being like an NBA player and a 20 point per game score. Um, so that was kind of a killer, but you know, those NIT games, NIT games, I think it was Robert Morris and Charlotte. I think the big thing for that at that point was that's when I remember Chris just really coming on. Like there was a St. John's game late in the year. We had like 13 boards and we started to see even playing off the ball, kind of like what he could become. So all of a sudden you start to think that, you know, they're getting there. And the thing is that was kind of tough. And we saw that with this with PC, you know, against other bigger conferences in the years to follow, but, you know, Baylor just had size, right? So essentially that year, PC only had Kadeem bats on the inside. I mean, they, you know, guys like, Goldsboro and Brees Kafani tried to fill in, but Kadeem was really on an island, right? And that was what was kind of exciting. At that point, they had Carson DeRocher's like waiting the ring, in the waiting the wings for the next year. Um, and that was the, I think the kind of tough thing for that 2012-13 team is everyone was kind of looking ahead. Remember, so much of that season was like the guys in suits. They'd always pan to like Ricky Lido and Tyler Harris and Carson. And for a while when you know Chris and Vince were out in their warm-ups, like I felt like the whole season was about the future and it was kind of cool for those guys to have like a strong close to the year. And I thought the crowds that don't are really good at the NIT and in talking to the guys, especially Bryce Cotton made this point, like they were excited to make the NIT. They felt like that was an accomplishment coming where they had come from. They'd gone, you know, eight and eight and 28, the two previous years in the big East. And as far as just missing the tournament, uh, if I'm being honest, I wasn't really thinking about it from that standpoint. I felt like we had such a great year and yeah, we came a little bit short, but the fact that we even had a postseason, that was a step up considering what the program looked like when I came in as a freshman. So for us, even making the NIT was um, a pretty big deal in my mind. So 
I think that was a really big step forward. And they were playing well. The Baylor game, I thought they played pretty well. I just thought Baylor was super athletic and tough. And they were playing at Baylor. That was kind of a tough spot. But I feel like everyone left that season feeling like they were really building something. I feel like that was our most talented team uh, in practice, at least, because we had Ricky Lito, Tyler Harris. Uh, they weren't playing. They weren't eligible to play. We had a kid named Siddiqui Johnson, who was a good player, but, you know, had his mishaps off the court. But that was probably our deepest team. That was probably that team was probably more talented than the, the championship team, to be honest. Um, and, and and going into the senior year, like I said, with the expectations of having uh, possibly having Ricky come back, but he entered the draft and Chris Dunn coming back and getting injured. And now Tyler Harris joining the team. I think that uh, that team ended up having more camaraderie because we had to come together with the injuries. Um, we had like a seven man rotation. This, this was building the future, right? This was a step in the right direction, whether it was the crowd, whether it was the recruits, whether it was the NIT run, which at the end of the day, right? You get to have some extra games on your home court. You get to play postseason basketball. And it, I think it means something to go a couple rounds in the NIT, you know, and play some good competition rather than just go one and out. Um, so let's transition to the off seasons of the 2013-2014 Friars. Like we talked about, the guys in suits sitting on the bench, right? There had to be some excitement around the team going into that offseason. I remember telling everyone, like, PC's going to be good next year. And if, if people weren't following closely, they were kind of like, ah. Well, in our conversation with Carson, he talked about the excitement, but also the level of healthy competition amongst the team at the time. That was a Division One starting five right there. And, and we would battle the starters, you know, and, and we had nothing to lose. We, we were playing with, with house money. We, you know, we make a mistake. Who cares? It's the next possession because we know we're not going to see the court. You know, I know Ricky was going through the, the NCAA process, um, you know, Chris coming back from his injury. So towards the end of the year, he played a little bit more. And that was, uh, we talked about that all the time. We were a, a, a legitimate starting five division one basketball team and, and and yeah you mentioned we were all in the suits you know we got those nice suits we're always looking good on the bench but it definitely was a little painful not being able to play you know now you have the um the rule where transfers can come in and play right away but that year was was uh you know essential towards kind of just building our camaraderie and and you know getting in the gym you know getting in the weight room with coach white and and just living there um you know i i think even though guys these days can, can play right away, I think sitting out that year is, is very, very important. Um, you know, it's really hard to come in and within a few months kind of start to try to gel with the guys on the team now and, and try to make an impact with them. I think being at, at a school for a year is, is, is beneficial. And, and, you know, maybe that small little bit played a part in the, in the 2013-14 season. Yeah, we, we touched on it already. You know, Bryce was already a first-team all-league player led the league in scoring. Kadeem, you know, you were not sure because he was a senior. He had a red shirt year. He redshirted on um, his freshman year under Kino. But we weren't sure if Kadeem was going to come back. But if he if he did, you're thinking you got a really good I think he was honorable honorable mention all of Big East and the league's most improved player. And you figure with a lot of these schools with the bigger front lines, the Yukons and Syracuse and Louisville's leaving the, the Big East, that kind of makes things a little bit easier for Kadeem too. I love talking to LaDante Hedden about Kadeem and just hearing the admiration you had for him. I was happy for him, man. I was happy for him because I seen the behind the scenes work that he put in. 
like Kadeem Betts lived in the gym more than a lot of guys on that team or a lot of guys in college basketball, period. Um, he changed his body. He worked at his game, and he was prepared for it. Um, I think he was a culture guy. So it worked out for him because he fit what Coach Cooley brought to the table, and that's culture, and that's winning, and, and that's having the right mindset each and every day. Kadeem Bass had that. Like, he lived in the gym, worked on his game, kept getting better, and eventually it paid off for him. You know, we touched on Carson and, and Tyler. You know, those are both ACC transfers. And I think, you know, both were top 100 guys. And I, I think that they added a lot. You know, I, I think what was interesting with Tyler was he really made a name, interestingly, in Providence. So I think we talked about this with Carson a little bit, too. The Providence Jam Fest for a while was like a who's who of high school basketball, right? So Tyler, I think it was in 2010, he won the MVP of the Jam Fest. And at the time, it was just littered with like a ton of top, you know, 50 guys. Uh, Archie Diacono was there, Ricky Lito, Chris Dunn, Andre Drummond, and all these other guys. I mean, NBA players everywhere. Like the year prior, Kyrie Irving was the MVP. So you're getting like crazy talent at Jam Fest every year. And, and Tyler had like a seven three point he hit seven threes in the game and scored 33 so his stat his status kind of took off and he didn't play much at north carolina state but um you know he was six eight six nine and could score and it felt like you know he was a really good they needed an additional score you know Ladante and, and bryce obviously were good scores but he really helped and then like we said you know kadeem was on an island and for me i had seen carson a lot um or followed him a lot he was he played for mass rivals and at the time they were relatively new AU program and I actually saw Carson they played at the gym fest as well I saw him there and he was known as a guy, a guy who could stretch the floor block shots and he was a good shot blocker at at, um, at wake you know I think he blocked over like two shots a game both years he was there so he was a little bit more proven than Tyler but I thought he was gonna be a big help uh, but Bill what do you remember about those guys and your feeling kind of heading into that season well I think nobody on this roster had had that moment of like oh I feel recognized. I, I, you know, I feel like I've accomplished what I've wanted to accomplish. Right. Even Bryce Cotton being first team big East the year before. I mean, I think Bryce would tell you as, as we, you know, we interviewed him like that he wanted to win and he wanted to leave a legacy, right. Whatever opportunities you're given, you have to try your best to maximize it because even though I had a good sophomore year, I'm still in that mindset of, I still can't believe I'm playing division one basketball. Like if Providence doesn't call me, who knows what happens? So I always had a very internal mindset of always focusing on what I needed to do so I could continue to, uh, to thrive. And even though it was very unfortunate with Ricky being ruled ineligible and Chris being hurt and all that stuff, obviously you never want to see anything like that happen, but because those things were the situations, I knew this presents somewhat of an opportunity for you. So you either have to capitalize on this or, you know, this could be the end of your journey. That's the way I looked at it every single year. Like you have to do more than what you did last year or the ride could stop right now. Kadeem had had such an up and down experience of he has a new voice and coach Cooley and he has to completely change everything after being in a different re regime for, for a couple of years. Like I, I genuinely think with this team that everybody was looking to achieve something and everybody was looking to grow. There was nobody who was just like, Oh, I'm good. You know, like I've, I've achieved, you know, and I'm, I'm good with my college career. Like Tyler Harris, another great example, you know, comes from NC state, didn't really get the burn there. And it's like, Hey, 
new opportunity here at Providence. Um, so, Kev, what we'll do now is we'll go up and down the roster, kind of chat a little bit about each player to give everybody a little bit more of an in-depth analysis about what they were able to provide before we get into the season. So, of course, we got to start with the 6-3 point guard, New London, Connecticut, sophomore Chris Dunn. Yeah, I mean, obviously the buzz behind Chris was crazy. Um, and I still think that we we hadn't really seen him play point guard, right? And even he was out in New London, Connecticut. He was a McDonald's All-American. And even there, like, he, it was almost like he played off the ball a little bit. He was a defensive terror. But we really hadn't seen – we saw, like, glimpses of it. And I remember people forget Chris's first game, he had, like, 13 assistants. Remember he came back against – I think it was Colgate the year prior. And he had 13 assists in his first game. And that was when Vincent Council was hurt. So the ball was in Chris's hands. So we kind of saw glimpses of what we saw, you know, his rebounding ability and obviously defensively. And I think for guys, you know, like Kadeem, for like Bryce, he was going to add a totally different dimension of like playmaking. And we'll get into it, but we saw he only played a few games that next season, the 2013-14 season, but we just saw what an impact he could have with his athleticism defensively, even playing injured. Um, and it was such, you know, it was so crushing that he got hurt, um, that year. Um, but obviously, you know, I mean, the buzz was crazy around Chris and and Bill, you know, you were on campus. What was it like to, you know, kind of hear about this McDonald's all American and this big personality was coming into PC? Well, in the game of local recruiting, we'd be lying if we said we didn't lose some battles to UConn and BC and, and some local programs. But to see a kid from New London, Connecticut, you know, short hour ride away from Providence, you know, commit to PC, um, especially Chris had been ranked higher than Marcus Page. But when Marcus Page committed to North Carolina, they did the swap on the ESPN rankings. Right. Um, I mean, Chris on campus, he had a buzz about him, man. He 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 was just he had that type of personality. And, you know, he, he told me I was really bad at NBA 2K, which is true. Um, I am. <laughs> So, no, he just had a certain buzz about him. Um, and to land that local recruit, especially, you know, in the backyard of UConn, uh, you know, I think we just, it just set the tone. Um, but that, 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 that was the recruit that everybody was like, okay, we're in the Coach Cooley era. I believe it was November 2nd, 2013, when he went down. And we also lost two other players on that day. Um, Chris's shoulder. I know everyone was devastated, you know, I know everyone was devastated yet. I think we had enough veterans returning that new opportunity was going to not for them as well. So in that year, I thought we really grew and developed a lot. And what can you say about Chris? The one thing that was interesting to us when we talked to Carson Carson kind of said that Chris was the guy who kept people up when you guys hit some rough patches that year. He did. He did. I mean, you know, we had some tough losses. Let's face it. You know, we, we had some really tough losses yet. Chris was an inspirer, you know, cause he's an energy giver to begin with. Very rare. Would you see Chris quote unquote down? He's ultra competitive. He's very funny. He's, 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 he's got this, you know, electric personality, a hundred, you know, a thousand watt smile. And, it, you know, it just, radiates within the organization and in the, in the locker room our next player six five guard hampton virginia also a sophomore the shooting specialist josh fortune yeah so josh was interesting so he was going to the sophomore year i thought he was pretty 
pretty solid his freshman year. Um, you know, I, what was interesting about Josh is people forget he committed to PC really young. He committed as a junior and committed to Keno Davis. So I think it was a bit of a surprise that, you know, he stuck with PC under the coaching change, um, especially because he wasn't like a top hundred guy. He was a little bit under the radar, but Josh had really good size. And I remember either his first or second exhibition game, he completely caught, caught fire. I think he hit like five or six jumpers in a row. Like four or five of them were threes and one was like toe on the line. And I remember Cooley after the game saying, and it's a little foreshadowing for what happened in the Big East tournament, you know, as a sophomore, that Josh was going to have a game where he just hits like six or seven threes and wins us a game. Um, you know, I, I thought he was kind of like a low maintenance guy. Um, and I did think it was kind of, you know, he, it was interesting his recruitment. He was kind of a forgotten guy because he came in with Chris and Ricky, you know, and it was like, oh, and here's like the third guy. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, he was solid. He was a kind of a, a forgotten piece because he transferred, but I thought Josh was really good for him that year, especially late in the year. Yeah. So Josh, the reason he played was because he was also like an athletic guard. So he could guard, take some of the pressure off Rice. Right. When Chris went out, it was going to be Chris guards, the best player. He's playing most of the defense and saving Bryce a little bit on the other side. Josh, most of the times, just by sheer luck or unluck for him, was put covering the best player. Right. LaDante didn't often match up well for them um, just based on speed or size. Tyler, Tyler was eh, sometimes guarding, you know, a bigger wing or something like that. But. Most of the time, Josh was forced into you're guarding the best, most athletic player. And and truthfully, Josh was like such a nice kid. And and Chris, I know we talk about all the time. Um, the year he left was going to be a huge breakout year for Josh. The 20 and like you feel for the kid because I don't think he he performed at the same level at uh, Colorado that he would have here. But yeah, he was. uh him and Chris were roommates, so I, I got to be around them a lot. Um, and, and honestly, I, I had a car on campus, so I got to be around them a lot. You know, <laughs> not always by choice, but sometimes it was uh, it was that or, hey, bro, can I borrow the car? Uh, but, yeah, Josh, Josh was a, a great guy. And, you know, unfortunately, I was really – there's some people that leave that I'm like, good riddance. He was one that he actually really hurt um the team and we would have loved to have him and actually it's funny because he's actually the reason i had to come back for a fifth year and go through a medical redshirt practice um because i was going to work on the coaching staff and get my master's um and then cooley called me into the office after well let's just say there's two months of me and, and the hockey guys had no more athletic responsibilities and hadn't really been partying for four years. So I think I'd put on 30 pounds of just beer weight and Cooley calls me in. I'm thinking it's for coaching stuff. And he tells me, uh, Hey, terrible news, Josh transferred. I'm going to need you to play next year. And I was, I'm like, Cooley, look at me. I'm like, I put on 35. I've been drinking nothing but beer for 30, 40 days. And he goes, just switch to clear liquor. <laughs> and said, that was it. Sent me all the way. He's like, you got six, eight weeks to get in shape. Like, you'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, Josh, again, our team was so small and so tight knit that 
really hard to find anything bad to say about any of the guys. I don't want to compare Josh to AJ Reeves straight up because they're completely different type shooters. But at the end of the day, Josh would get up for big moments, sort of similar to how AJ would. Like he was always there when we needed a big performance, especially we'll get into it in the Big East tournament. Um, but I'll just, re- I, I won't really remember him for the games and the non conference and the games that didn't matter, but I will remember him for the big shots and the big games um, and, and being available and not being afraid of the moment um, when we needed him. Next up, 6'9", forward center from Boston, Massachusetts, senior Kadeem Batts. Yeah, so Kadeem, I thought was just a cool story. Um, Just because you really saw a guy who grew on and off the court in his five years at PC. So obviously he decided to come back. um, And it was really up in the air. I remember talking to some people kind of in the know at the time. And I think he was really questioning if he should come back. But... um, you know, to see his development and people forget too, like he was under Kino and I think that's a big adjustment for him. He got suspended, um, which he talks about in this podcast. We'll, we'll feature in a bit, but um, you know, Kadeem got suspended his first year under Cooley for the first semester. So I think that was a big step back and kind of like thwarted his whole year. It was like, he was playing uphill his first year under Cooley. Um, And then, you know, the year before he really started to get it going. But um, you know, I think there were huge expectations for Kadeem coming in this season just because it was a smaller big east physically with some of these teams leaving and he wasn't going to be on an island you know I, I thought it was similar to the year that pc had been bentel as like their lone big guy like he couldn't be as aggressive as he might want because he couldn't get in foul trouble now all of a sudden you had carson there and it made a big difference for him so i think kadeem was really primed for a big year yeah so my first year um, i had a mishap uh where i got suspended the first 11 games of the season uh so i had prepared well and you know, Cooley was, uh, me and Gerard were sent over before I got suspended. Me and Gerard were sent, or were the two chosen uh, to play for the East Coast American team in Europe. So I had great experience going into the season. And then I had a classroom mishap that, uh, unfortunately, I was suspended for the first 11 games of the season. So I came back during Big East play and just couldn't find a rhythm. I uh, had a couple of good games, I remember. Um, but overall, just in and out of the rotation, couldn't really find a rhythm. Um, and was just really upset with myself that year. Um, so that summer, uh, I, I had a lot, I felt like I should have played really well that year. So that summer, I had a lot of fire going into that summer and kind of a lot to prove going into my redshirt junior year, which was technically my senior year. Um, and you know, I was able to play really well uh, individually, and we had good team success from what I've experienced in terms of making the NIT that year. And then um, I was honestly exploring um, leaving um, and because I was a senior, and I got convinced by Coach Cooley, LaDante, Bryce uh, to come back to play with the team. And I was really excited because of the opportunity um, to play with a really good, really good point guard. I had a really good point guard in Vincent Council that I graduated. And then I was looking forward to playing with Bryce Cotton along with him, Chris Dunn. Uh, I had, you know, and he got hurt um, multiple times my last two years, I remember. And uh, that was kind of a bummer for me not being able to play with such an elite point guard. But uh, we had a very special group my senior year where 
uh, through sacrifice and changing my role um, for the team, um, I was able to really try to buy into that leadership role of transforming my mindset going into that year. I was expecting to play with a Chris Dunn and then Bryce Cotton, probably one of the greatest scorers I ever played with, um, got moved to the point guard role. The Dean Bats, I mean, goes from being in the doghouse to a complete, to complete 180 and being becoming a fan favorite. Called him the big fundamental when we interviewed him and he laughed, but it's the truth. Like the man had that, he had that crisp mid-range jumper, was strong around the boards. And like you said, predominantly, especially the year before, he'd been the only big guy down there. And he was playing, he, he was undersized compared to some some competition, especially in the old Big East. Um, you know, unsung, I think about him as an unsung hero um, on the 2013-2014 Friars. Next up, guard 6-1, Tucson, Arizona, Bryce Ice Cotton Sr. When I think of like model student athlete and just overall face of a program that we desperately needed I think about Bryce Cotton I think about how maybe Ryan Gomes before him like I, I just I just think Bryce was in a category all himself but also his underdog story of not being highly rated coming out of high school having to fight for a division one roster spot divine providence of how he ends up at providence which, which i'll let you get into kev it, it's just it's just truly an amazing story um and i'm glad that he stayed i'm glad that he's imagine what, what what would have been if bryce cotton didn't stay at providence college we would not be having this recording right now i was very close uh i had asked for my release papers and all that stuff um at the time when i'd asked for it i was pretty sold that i felt it was the right decision to move uh, to go to a different school. But um, yeah, when I look back, I feel I was talking to my mom and maybe my mom and my brother, but I know for sure my mom. And we had had like a long heart to heart. And uh, I guess she kind of convinced me that basically everything that happened for me to magically end up at Providence because uh, obviously we have like a real faith in God and all that. So speaking of divine providence and all that, she was like, there's no way all these different things would happen if you weren't supposed to stay at Providence. So when she kind of came at me from that perspective, I was like, all right, well, maybe you're right. And I just put myself back into that same mindset as when Cooley first got there, you know, all right, well, it's sink or swim, whether this is the right decision or not. I got to try and find a way to make this work the way I did the previous year. And um, once I made that decision, I didn't look back again once I decided to stay uh, with, with DC. Yeah. So Bryce, to me, it's interesting you brought up Ryan because that was kind of what I had in my notes. He's his story. They're very different, different players, but his story reminds me so much of Ryan Gomes, kind of the overlooked guy who, you know, Gomes had a few other scholarship offers, um, but not many more. Um, and when Gomes came in, kind of like Bryce, their freshman year, they're kind of afterthoughts. And, you know, they became unbelievable NBA level players. Um, you know, with Bryce is interesting. So it sounds, I remember interviewing Bryce a couple of years ago and it, it, what had happened is it, it seemed like he had been discovered. He had no, not even a division two or division three scholarship offer. 
the summer before his what would have been his freshman year of college um and i think pc had discovered him on like a website for you know potential division one players or college basketball players with high gpas so i think they brought him in there you know i don't think they communicated this directly to him but i think the feeling was like here's a guy who's gonna help like boost the team gpa he looks really athletic on tape maybe we can squeeze some minutes out of him and you know it's funny his his freshman year he scored like 15 points in his debut but his minutes kind of dwindled and i thought was what was really interesting for bryce is like every year it seemed like there was going to be some sort of obstacle in his way. Like I remember his second year, Kiwi Gardner was supposed to come in and be like this electrifying guard and Kiwi was ineligible. His junior year, Ricky Lido was going to come in and Ricky was supposed to, you know, take over. Ricky's ineligible. Bryce turns into an all-league player. And then his last year, you know, unfortunately, but Chris gets hurt and it kind of pays the way for Bryce to turn into a total superstar. Because I think if he played off the ball like he did the year before, he would have had a great year, but it didn't, it wouldn't have allowed him to fully show his total game like we saw. So, and, and he got thrust into that, you know, he'd never really played point guard full-time at PC and all of a sudden six, seven games into the year, like, here you go, you're a point guard. And as we'll see, his numbers just exploded. He didn't, it's not, not that he didn't miss a beat. He completely took off. So he's really one of the great stories and it's pretty cool. And talking to him now, Bill, like we just talked to him, like he's still super humble and almost like, he's grateful but almost like he's still in awe sometimes of like thinking back to where he was right before he came here to like where he is now like you know he never lost that which makes him a really kind of cool unique guy in my perspective 100 percent, definitely hasn't lost his journey hasn't lost his persona of, of being about the process right it was like when he couldn't show off his whole game you know it's, it's what is it going to take for me to do well and for the team to win right right and 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 he'll talk about it you know when, when, when we play his clips that like you know he never lost sight of that vision he never lost sight of understanding that it was a very special situation that ended up in providence and that if he put in the work that the results would come i think bill too sorry his work ethic you know that's the thing like his teammates and talking about almost like marvel at his work ethic and we'll hear stories about that about you know, he he was up at four in the morning putting shots up and he really he turned himself into this kind of player and in talking to him too there's this like single-minded focus that um is so rare and impressive so i think it's gonna be really cool to hear from him and hear the guys talk about him because he is such a unique player and really so well respected by everybody he was like the, the silent killer right like very quiet kid when he when he first got to province very quiet he lived with uh lee goldsboro and lee would always tell me he's up doing two 300 push-ups when he wakes up and but right just did it in the in his own room didn't make a big scene about it right he'd go to the gym when people weren't there he'd like to be do his thing by himself but like you all knew he was working like there was never a doubt that if bryce can go he's going. So seeing that every day in the, the consistency of the work ethic, you know, some guys would, you'd want to leave practice right after and go get training table. It becomes a little more challenging when, you know, three of your teammates are still getting up shots, you know, cool ends practice. And then there you see Bryce and you know, okay, well, before study hall or, or before classes this morning, Bryce was also in the gym. And then to double down on that, the addition of of Sham God to the coaching staff was incredible. Like 
he came in and it was Chris, Bryce, LaDante, like every single day he's working with these guys. And, and Bryce had already started to really get good, like just from discipline and practice. Um, but then Shamgod was able to kind of elevate them and also was there to help push them a little bit too, you know, knowing, okay, I can go get dribbling lessons from one of the greatest dribblers of all time. That will also get you in the gym a little bit more. Uh, if you've seen, I mean, what Bryce has done in Australia, winning every MVP and championship they have, uh, his game has just continued to, to excel post college and everything. Do you mind sharing the, the coach Lehman story as well to paint the picture? Oh yeah. Yeah. So at, coach Lehman came in and I lived with all the hockey guys um, for my junior and senior year. And the first thing coach Lehman did was come in to set an example. He's okay. Let's get up three, four or 5. AM get these guys to run wind sprints in the gym. So walks in there expecting it to be uh, completely empty. And there's good old Bryce cotton got, five five hundred a thousand shots up at three four in the morning and it's like the kobe uh kobe bryant ethic right like do it when people aren't watching and then i mean for bryce it was pretty clear it showed um every single game for the most part but it's just that's who he was as a guy i compare him more to alan arvison than a than a uh than a natural point guard uh he's more cotton was is probably one of the most elite small guards, small scoring guards I've ever seen. Um, so for him to switch that role to the point guard position, obviously um, that put me in a different position of not necessarily having a, a pass first playmaker naturally. And that's no, that's no offense to his game. He's just a natural scorer. Um, so him switching that role, he put the team on his back. Many nights, many games where, you know, whether it was whatever you asked for him to on the offensive end and do, he was doing it. And so for me, I just had to find a role and all right, let me try to lead the team in offensive, lead the league in offensive rebounds. And that's what I did. This wouldn't be the 2013, 2014 Friars without potentially the most winningest Friar of all time. 6'2 guard, freshman, Darian, Connecticut, Casey Woodring. Oh, Casey, yeah. So Casey, it's funny. I kind of a funny story. I went, so I used to always go to these, it's harder now with kids, but you know, Back then, before Casey got to PC, I was down in um, New Haven. There was a big, big prep tournament. I think Ricky Lito was playing there, um, but I was there at the time. Tilton had Nerlens Noel and Wayne Selden and George and Yang, and I was watching them. And there was a guy sitting next to me, and this was back when it was Kino's last year, so it was kind of rumblings that Cooley was going to get hired. And there was a guy with his son watching the games. It turns out it was Casey's dad, who was a uh, a really good player. He played professionally in Europe and he really knew his, his stuff. And I sat there and watched the game with Casey and his dad for quite a while. And then his dad ended up emailing me like a year later, like, Hey, my son's going to PC as a preferred walk on. So Casey could play. He was at, um, I think at Choate for a while. He actually was kind of funny as everyone knows, Adam Finkelstein, right? Finkelstein is at ESPN now 24 seven. Finkelstein was a really good prep coach. So he was Casey's prep coach and they won like a lower level NEPSAC championship, which people don't realize. Uh, Adam really, you know, could coach. And, um, and then Casey went on to play at Cushing and uh, Cushing at the time had Caleb Joseph, who PC recruited, who went to Syracuse and went to Creighton. 
they had Jalen Adams who went to um, UConn, and they mm -hmm. had the kid uh, Andrew Stravis who went to Butler. So they had a really good team there. Um, I think they might have won a knapsack title. But anyway, so Casey could shoot and he could play. Um, you know, a little bit probably too undersized. You you talk about a, a walk on like a Ted Bancroft or Chris Carter. They're more like six five, six six for a guy six one, six two. It's a little bit harder to see the court, but. I think Casey was like a borderline coming out of high school, like division one, like low level guy who could have gotten some offers, but ended up being a walk on at PC. And, um, you know, another guy that I think was really well respected and just came from a family who knew the game. And I assume he had a high IQ as well. Could really shoot it. Um, you know, and, and it was a part of a lot of winning and a lot of winning culture. So we thank you, Casey. We hope, we hope you're listening. Next up guard six, six Marion, Massachusetts senior Ted Bancroft yeah so Ted was solid you know I and he was like a a, a well-built six 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 like he filled out and I think what's interesting is I think Ted had spent maybe two years under Kino and three under Cooley so this he had a red shirt year so this was his senior year and he was on the tournament team the next year so um I thought what was cool about Ted is he came from a family that had so much, so many PC ties and so much Providence pride um, that I think he really maybe could have played basketball somewhere else and had an even bigger role. Um, but he loved PC so much and wanted to give it a shot here. And he, he really turned into a serviceable player, you know, like a physical defender, a high energy guy and a guy I think Cooley really relied on. I remember at one point, you know, with him and Chris kind of like playing zone and press together, they were pretty tough. Um, and I think my biggest memory of, of Ted is kind of the number he did on Doug McDermott. I thought he, he really like gave him fits a little bit when they played in the dunk. And we'll talk about that later. But the big thing with Ted too, I remember like huge personality, like at the banquet that year, he kind of stole the show when he was talking to the, the crowd there. And he was just a guy I felt like the fans really, really appreciated. And more so not just because he was a walk on, but like his personality and his actually, you know, impacted the game as well. Yeah, I mean, the decision was uh, pretty much made for me as a child, I'd say. My my grandfather was a class of, geez, I don't know, 1918, 19, somewhere around there. Um, my aunt, uncle, and mom all went to Providence. So my aunt or my grandmother lived up by, uh, I forget the name of the church, but every time we go visit her, the only way to go get through Providence was through PC. So everyone knew growing up, like, no matter what, Teddy's probably going to go to Providence. Um, and, and as a lifelong basketball fan, my mom was a cheerleader. Uh, we, we grew up going to games. I was there in, I think it was 2005, the Texas game at the buzzer. Uh, yep. Heartbreaking even back then. Um, so yeah, <laughs> the answer was, was pretty easy for me. And then even when I was in high school, my, my basketball coach said, Hey, if you go to Providence, you probably can't play basketball. So I had to, go either, hey, shoot for your dream and, and potentially not make it um, or go play somewhere else. And it, the school itself meant so much to me that I took my chance and, and well, here we are. He was a good dude. He definitely brought the energy um, and he left it all out there on the floor every time he got an opportunity. And he definitely busted his ass every time in practice for sure. I loved his energy. Yeah, shout out to Eddie B. He did claim he dunked on you in practice. He, he told us to ask you about that. He, he says he's got a video oh. of him dunk, dunking on <laughs> No, I don't know about that one. <laughs> no, no, no. He, could, he was tough. He could defend. He could make shots. 
Ted was a, he played a major role on that team, man. More than sure. people would know. Next up, forward, listed at six six, but we'll give him six seven. Lansing, Michigan, junior. Ladante, Coach Buck, Hen. I, I I think of Ladante as like the tone setter for you know the Cooley era. You know, he's he's Ed Cooley's first commit. He came in and he was essentially a double double guy like right away. I think he averaged like 13, 8 and shot the three at like 39% um in the big east. Like he was really good right away. And I think it's so cool that he's back at PC coaching now because um I just felt like he meant so much to the program. You know, he scored. He's one of two players in program history to score 2,000 points and grab 1,000 rebounds. Um, and he just turned into a, a great scorer here. You know, and, and I think the one thing about LaDante across the board is he's really well respected among his teammates, among the players now. Um, and for good reason. You know, I just think he's a super, like, tough player and um, just like a perfect, like, representation of what Cooley's program is. It's poetic almost that LaDante Hen was Coach Cooley's first recruit. I mean, his ability to get in the lane and get rebounds freshman year, his athleticism, his calm demeanor, but yet his explosive abilities on the court were just a perfect, a perfect, calming, reassuring player that would just come into situations and you just felt like he had it, right? You felt like he, he had us in the moments um, that we needed him. And I just think he was, he was a transformative recruit for a school that doesn't always land the big recruit, but needs to hit on the underrated recruit. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing is too, the only reason why he was at PC was there was a coaching change at Dayton, right? Like he was, if that didn't happen, he never comes here and who knows where the program is, you know, now. Um, I think the other thing that Dante gave them too was just kind of a fearlessness. You know, there was a feeling for a, a long stretch that against certain teams like PCU is in over their head. And I, I felt like, you know, there was an intimidation factor when you go to Syracuse or Louisville or wherever. And I felt like LaDante was a guy who wasn't scared. Like he was six, five, six, six, whatever he was grabbing, you know, 15 rebounds here, 13 there. He just played with a real toughness. So that's why when I think of like a tone setter, that that's, that's why when I think of him, I think he kind of like helped change the mindset here that, they really felt like they can compete with anyone. And he kind of brought that mentality. When he first came in on the visit, you know, I remember seeing him stretching and all that stuff. And I'm looking like, okay, it's a new guy, whatever. But <laughs> I had honestly thought he was an alumni. I thought he was a guy that used to play at PC years ago. <laughs> so when I found out like, oh, this is a guy with a cruise, I'm like, oh, okay, it's crazy. But that was always funny to me. I remember when I first seen him, I thought he was a dude that played there like four or five years ago. But yeah, Buck hit the ground running and uh, he had a hell of a freshman year and just, he was very vocal. You know what I'm saying? He didn't shy away from the fact that even though he's a freshman, he felt like his voice had weight and it did because he was producing out there on the floor. And, um, you know, we thrived off that for sure. And he was such a huge part of you know, our team and a huge part of those three years that I was there with him, he helped turn that program around as well as anybody else. I think it was just a testament to Buck's style of play that, you know, he had the ability to do whatever you needed him to do. He can impact the game scoring. He can impact the game through rebounds or energy plays. And um, he obviously got better year after year, but I also think he was given more rope too as the years went on. 
to showcase more of what he always kind of had in his arsenal. And um, he just got better and better. And he never, he never folded with any opportunity he was given. I guarded LaDante every single day for two years at that point. I would guard him. We're the same. He says he's taller than me. We're the same height. I knew what he, what move he was going to do before he did it. So when you think about the Big East championship and he hit that jab step, right? Jab step, little step back shot. I had seen that shot 10, 20, 10 to 20,000. He loved to shoot, right? So every practice, I'm seeing these shots in. We used to, we used to get after it um, in practice pretty good. And I was definitely a talker too. So if I start getting hot, and I'm like, if I'm feeling good, man, everyone in that gym's going to know that I'm feeling it. So I would talk to the Dante a lot. And he, one time I said, okay, here we go. Turn around, fade away while I'm guarding him. He turned around, fade away. He hit it. He said, you still can't stop it. So we, I will take credit for diversifying his game a little bit just because telling him, I know that move. I know that move. What else you got? The second was definitely, uh, the sham God impact as well, right? He, the way he was able to transform from LaDante, who you could have cut off his right arm his freshman year, and he would have done the same thing, to now he's dribbling, he's able to do step backs, he's a little more mobile with the ball. I think that's where, again, him, Chris, Bryce, I think Tyler Harris would get involved in those workouts, but sham God was definitely a, a big impact um, there as well. And then, Dante's kind of similar to, to Bryce. He, he had the work ethic too. You know, that the team I was on from the, the Kino era when almost nobody was in the gym to the end of the Cooley era where everyone's always wanting to be in the gym, it was a, a very big transformation for sure. Up next, forward, 6'9", sophomore, Dix Hills, New York, Tyler Harris. Yeah, so Tyler, you know, we touched on earlier. I, I thought, you know, it probably didn't help Tyler that he had such a big reputation coming out of high school. You know, I think he vaulted into like, I can't remember now, but someone had him ranked like as high as like the 70s, right? So especially back then, PC wasn't getting a ton of top 100 guys. Um, and I think what got me really excited about him is he had played really well. It was a pro-am in New York that had all sorts of, had all sorts of talent, you know, the season before. He was eligible to play in 2013-14. Um, and, you know, I think Tyler, people look back now and they think he was kind of like, you know, uh, looking to score and was kind of focused on his numbers. But he was big. Like, if you look back and we'll talk about it, kind of how he performed in, in the Virgin Islands early in the year. And he had a lot of kind of pivotal moments for him, too. So, um, again, really skilled, 6'9". It's hard to find guys who are 6'9 and lefty and can score inside and out. So, he helped probably double figure score. Um, but I don't know, Bill, what your thoughts and memories are of Tyler. Just very unique. Like lefty, just a very unique and different sort of style of play, but skilled for somebody who's six nine and the ability to move and 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 and, and be mobile at, at his size was pretty impressive, right? Um you know, he was, he ended up being versatile for us. And, and I agree. I think there are people who are going to say that, you know, he was looking out for his, 
his draft status, you know, with his brother or, you know, and he, then he transfers again and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Tyler Harris served as an unconventional glue guy to this 2013, 2014 Friar team where he was versatile enough to go inside out, you know, be a matchup nightmare at his size and occasionally make a shot that would make you go, wow. Okay. Um, so I mean, I think Tyler, you know, might be underrated all time in the history of this team. He was unique at being 6'9", or whatever he was, and being able to put the ball on the floor, get a nice outside shot, and still could drive to the rack as well. So he was a nice addition for us as well as far as just giving us a little bit more of a scoring boost. And I think he created uh, mismatches um, with certain teams throughout the season. He was – he and his brother and his family, they, they, again, back to the work ethic. They were always in the gym. I wouldn't be shocked if – if Tyler shot 95% from the free throw line, because you'll know if someone likes to score, they make their free throws. <laughs> That's how you know, like Bilal Dixon, one of my friends from the, the Kino days, he made every free throw because that man just loved to score the basketball. Um, and so Tyler was definitely like that. And I think him and Carson coming in together kind of helped bridge the gap a little bit where, okay, we kind of had a team we transferred all these guys like he came in the new guys right and they had some pretty high expectations so i think for him he was able to to craft his role pretty well we all knew you know you're not going to be the number one that's bryce then it's probably going to kadeem then you've got ladante who is cooley's kind of golden child and is was it developing a three that or two thousand point two that was it two thousand rebounds or a thousand rebounds just you know, like he's filling up the stat sheet. So then you look at the team and you're like, okay, three great options. And most teams have one, two, maybe three. So having Tyler as that fourth option to like, you know, you're getting a consistent 10 for the most part out of him. You know, he's long, he could rebound, he could run the four. He was great on, on, uh, in the zone defense because he had a long wingspan. So I'm not sure how many games he went out. I'm sure he had a few where he was 25, 30, but he was just someone that you could kind of rely on a certain, if you're thinking of it like um, Moneyball, right? Tyler Harris would be a, a very high value person in, in Billy Beans, Oakland Athletics, right? He's not Derek Jeter or anybody, but he was a player that, you know, he just filled the stat sheet and, and he actually hit a lot of big shots that he just didn't he wasn't the best celebrator he was a little calm with his celebrations you know like a little quirky whereas if if Bryce or someone like Dante you're really hearing it he was more of a you know I'm gonna do my thing like this is kind of a business for me like nice one but he was kind of a yeah he treated it almost like a business I'd say a little bit and lastly forward slash center Wyndham New Hampshire junior Carson DeRozier's. Yeah, so Carson, I've been following for quite a while because he he's from New Hampshire, um, but he went to high school in Massachusetts, a school called Central Catholic um, mm-hmm. there in Lawrence, Mass. So I actually grew up in Andover, which is a big rival of Central. So I'd heard about this big kid they had forever, and I think they won like two state championships when he was there. There's not much New England college basketball. You know, we have Providence, we have have UConn, we have Boston College. Um, so getting recruited by those schools coming out of high school, um, you, you always hear that narrative of that local recruit wanting to stay home. 
Um, I probably went to more Providence games than I did BC and UConn games. That's for sure. Um, you know, with, with the mass rivals and, and, and coach Pastore. <clears throat> um, and getting recruited, you know, back in 2006, 2007, I got recruited from, from, uh, coach Welch first and then coach Davis. Um, I just, I just kind of felt something was, something was missing. You know, the, the, the dunk was, was, you know, it was still the dunk, but it wasn't, uh, you know, where it has turned into now. Um, you know, after being at Wake for two years and making that decision to transfer, I made that, that, that visit with coach Cooley and whatever I felt was missing, even though I didn't even step foot in the dunk. Um, you know, I think I made that visit in April of 2012. Um, you know, Cooley kind of revived what I had thought was missing and, and that made it a very easy decision to, you know, essentially come back home. And Carson's an interesting player for PC just because I remember PC was recruiting him under Keno Davis and it felt like it had been forever since we got like the local top 100 recruit. I remember being like, okay, like the 68th recruited or ranked player in the country who's a center is probably not coming to PC. Right. So um, he ends up going awake. And like I said, he was a really good shot blocker. I think, you know, he was maybe top 10 in the ACC his first two years in, in block shots. And at Central Catholic and with mass rivals, he was shooting from three. Like he was a pretty versatile offensive player. So um, I thought that was a really big win for Cooley. I think Carson came first. I think he, he committed in May and Tyler came in June. But um, I thought Carson, I mean, obviously – on, on his game, you know, a seven footer can block shots. There weren't really many big guys on PC's roster. So that alone made him pretty critical. But I thought that, you know, with Carson, what was interesting is that there was this kind of changing perception of PC under Cooley. Um, you know, he had talked about how there was something kind of missing when he visited here before that was there. Um, and he had visited a lot of good schools. He visited Vanderbilt. Um, I forget where else he, he mentioned, but he visited Vanderbilt. It's one of the good schools at the time. And, um, you know, he, he did mention that things just felt different under Cooley. And I think it hasn't really changed. You know, PC's had a shot at these guys. And for people who weren't following the program 15, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, they may not realize that, like, a lot of these local guys, like PC, really didn't have much of a shot at just because it almost felt like a safety school, you know, like, oh, they're like the local school. They're not really making the tournament. They're Big East, but they're not, you know, a destination point. And I think Cooley made it a much, much more of a destination point for local recruits. Carson was 64th in that ESPN top 100 coming out of high school. That high. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And when I think about that, I just think about another local kid who chose to go somewhere else. Right. And then it's like on the second time around, we get the guy who, I mean, Herbert Hill, got to give a little shout out to Herbert Hill here. He was a great center, got an NBA look for a little bit. But like, you know, your Randall Hankies, your Bilal Dixons. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, the center position had evaded Providence for a long time. And finding a guy who was a seven-foot skilled big man was, was no easy task, right? So getting Carson, as I think you alluded to, was just a huge piece of saying this is a new era of Providence basketball and, and we're shooting for a different standard. Carson, obviously, he brought a lot of size to the, uh, to the team. And he was just one of those guys that he was quiet, but he made his, uh, his impact felt, whether it be a huge block at the right time during the game 
or a big rebound. Like Carson kind of did the dirty work and he had a great mentality. He was never selfish, never lashed out at teammates. He was always listening and just all about the team. And that was something we really needed. To be honest, like they have had a shot blocker. Carson that year averaged like two and a half blocks for PC in 2013-14. They haven't really had a, had a shot blocker like that, you know, since Carson left. I mean, I think Pascal Chuku was supposed to be the guy, uh, but he transferred. Um, so to get a shot blocker like that, I mean, from New England or not, is a rarity, you know. And I, and I think it was just such a turning point for PC to kind of get him and Chris at the same summer and Ricky Lito, like three big New England guys. And that helped change the perception, I think, around here. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my memory of Carson. I, th- I thought that, um, you know, he brought a lot on the court, but also helped kind of change the perception locally as well. 